0: And for those who are you watching at home and on the archives, we're in Revelation chapter 20. This is part three. And uh, let's begin. Something's happening with our sound. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Then we'll sing the word of God set to music, sit in silence, and come back and get into uh, another couple views before we can move into our verse-by-verse of the millennium. These views are taking us closer to what I think is the reality, and we're going to have to decide which of those views that we like, or you like, or whatever it is. So, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for bearing with us as humans, and sending your Spirit to be with us, to fortify us, and strengthen us as we study your Scripture. We pray you'll enlighten us to the things of the Spirit, not to the things of the flesh, and we'll be able to comprehend what you are meaning. So we, uh, we pray that you'll uh, be with us now and those who are watching from home and any other device and bless those who aren't with us that like to be and, G- and help our volunteers and all the technical things that go along with streaming the, sh- the, the service. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Show me Okay, Uh, the primary purpose of our study today, this is kind of interesting, but it's not, I'm gonna cover a lot of stuff about it. We have covered the millennium, and we've looked at three well-known camps, which I've written on the board. Premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Those are the three main views existing in Christianity about what the millennium is, what it means relative to the content of chapter 20. We haven't even touched chapter 20. We've spent a number of weeks just talking about the millennium. Well, after doing some research, there are two non-traditional, non-orthodox, orthodoxy being the standard ways of viewing the millennium. The orthodox ways, interestingly enough, premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism, they call them the orthodox views, but they conflict with each other. So we have three conflicting views that are considered orthodox, and it just adds to the enormity of the topic. But we're going to talk about what I have called no one else calls it this, but I don't know what else to call it Russellinianism. Millennialism. Russellennialism. Russellennialism. There was a guy named J. Stuart Russell in 1816 to 1895 who proposed this view of the millennium. And there are a smattering of scholars and people who adhere to Russellian. just call it Russellism. Uh, And his view is this. The millennium began in 70 AD. What he believed is that the church went through the tribulation. It had three years, three and a half years, 42 months of trial, tremendous trial under Nero and Roman armies. And at the destruction, we entered into the millennium, which is still going on. Because the contents of chapter 20 have yet to fully happen. So we're living at a time when Satan has been bound, just like all millennialism, 1,000 doesn't mean 1,000 here, that we, it started in 70 AD, and we're living in a time, yes, there's evil, but it's done by ourselves, and there's going to come a time later on down the road, who knows? when Satan will be loosed, and then we'll read the finalization of everything that's happening in chapter 20. The second position we call full preterist millennialism. It's different than pre-, post-, ah-, and Russell millennialism in that full preterist millennialism says there isn't a present ongoing millennialism in place there isn't one that's going to happen in our future in place but we have a complete completed full millennium that has already occurred now let me be honest with you as i've studied all these views especially with being considered definitely a partial preterist When I've studied all these views, I lean at this point to Russell's views. They make tremendous sense. Uh, But I haven't yet gone and uh, dived strongly into full preterist millennialism. So if full preterist millennialism makes more sense to me with Scripture than Russell millennialism, then I'll say so. And we're going to get to that next week. And we're going to touch on it right at the end of today. But today, we're gonna talk, for the most part, about these differing two unorthodox views of the Millennium. And when you hear what Russell has to say, uh, it really does make some great sense. And I was surprised by this. So, before we address the first unorthodox view, um, which aligns with preterism, remember that Russellism aligns with full preterism in a number of ways. let me just explain quickly the full preterist view, and it's very simple. It is the millennium took place between 30 or 33 AD, whenever Jesus uh, overcame sin, death, and the cross. It began then, and it continued on until 70 AD. So a 40-year period is how the full preterists view the millennium, all right? And um, Russellism says that it began in 70 AD and continues out today. We haven't, in his day, it was in the 1800s, it continued out to that point. We still haven't seen the fulfillment of chapter 20, and so it's continuing on even now, and we're just waiting for these final things to happen, which I'll explain uh, in a second. Well over a century ago, this man, J. Stuart Russell, Uh, and perhaps before that, I don't know, there could be others, but he seems to be the one who's authored Russelenianism. It says the millennium began in 70 AD, following the destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple. And in some ways, it makes some sense. Now, this view is quite similar to amillennialism. And postmillennialism, not pre, but... A and post, which generally propose that the reign of Christ began with his work on the cross. So remember, amillennialism and postmillennialism believe that it began with his work on the cross, and that's when the thousand year, remember, thousand year representing a period of time began. Amillennialism does not believe in a literal thousand years. Just remember that. Okay. This is because... Russell believes, as I do, that the great tribulation that is described in Matthew 24 and in Revelation 7, we studied that, took place from 67 AD to 70 AD. That was the 42 months when the tribulation hit and the people were exposed to everything we've read about up in these chapters uh, fiercely and mightily, and we have read secular history that have supported that greatly, that they, they went through the tribulation prior to Christ returning at that time. Now, J. Stuart Russell wrote a book, and it's called The Parousia. It's a famous book, if you're interested in reading it, and I think it's going to be helpful for me to read what is said of the Parousia by another modern scholar whose name is Duncan McKenzie. So Duncan McKenzie, he read the Parousia, J. J. Stuart Russell's view of the millennium, and he believes it, and so he wrote about it in language that is easier to understand, and I'm going to quote him right now. Some highlights. Russell's position is different from full preterism, talking about the millennium, in that it does not hold that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled by 70 AD. That's the key to understand the difference between these two non-Orthodox views of the millennium outside of the three Orthodox views, is that Russellianism does not agree with full preterism, which says everything is completed. In other words, Russell holds out a few things that he says still have to happen in his day, 1800s, and out to our day. The position, I'm continuing with a quote of James Stuart Russell, offers a third preterist option. I've never heard of this option until I studied it these past few weeks. That is different from full preterism and traditional partial preterism. Russell's position is essentially like the full preterist position, stay with me, that the one and only second coming, the judgment and the resurrection happened in 70 AD as Jesus and his apostles said they would, and the resurrection has an ongoing fulfillment since 70 AD, something I believe too. Russell's position also sees us as currently in the new heaven and earth a symbol of the post-70 A.D. New Covenant order. So far, I'm with him. He says, listen, the, 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 tribu- the trials and tribulations came. There was a period of peace. There was a trials and, uh, and tribulation came in 67 to 70. Jerusalem was meted out with Jesus' second coming, bringing righteousness and judgment and rewards to those people. And then we enter into a period of peace, 70 A.D., the new heaven and new earth are in place. Jesus has had a victory. And so the earth experiences a time from 70 to our present of this heavenly peace that is reigning down, and it's called the millennium. Again, quote, where Russell's position is different from full preterism is that it does not hold that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled by 70 A.D. For instance, here we go. This is the big one. Russell saw the millennium as beginning in 70 AD, not ending at that time as the full preterist demands. So there's the difference between these two non-orthodox views of the millennium. Russell says that the millennium began at 70 AD and carries forward into our future until a few things are going to occur. And... Full Preterist millennialist view says it began in 30 AD and ended at 70 AD with a 40-year period that is known to them as the millennium. Okay, as a result of this view, McKenzie goes on, there will be, not has been, there will be a future end to evil at the end of this millennial time based on what Revelation chapter uh, 27 through 10 says, when Satan will be defeated, but that has not yet happened. And this is something that most people have issue with when you say Satan's been defeated. They're like, that's really hard to believe. But remember, with Russell's view, we're in the millennium. Satan has been bound. All Russell is saying is he will be allowed to be loosed again. So understand the nuance there in this Uh, this conversation. He goes on, herein lies one of the biggest differences between the full preterist view and, and this Russell's view. Russell's position is that what is being shown in Revelation 20 is not two separate throne scenes and judgments, one in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and one in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, not two separate events, with a digression of what will happen at the end of the millennium in between. Chapter 20 is a heavy chapter. It, it is It takes a lot, and we're going to talk, when we get into this actual study, we'll show you how the different views view 20, because it breaks up in different segments, and you have to come up with how you're going to understand what it's saying. Russell's position is that John begins describing a throne scene judgment at the beginning of the millennium in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then, at chapter 7, John digresses about what would happen at the end of the millennium, and then at verse 11, he takes up again the subject of the throne judgment scene he started at verse 4. Russell thus saw the description of the throne scene and judgment that is begun in Revelation 4 as being continued in Revelation 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, as continued in Revelation 20, verses 11. So there's some passages in there that Russell says are a digression for him. We have the beginning judgment, we have a digression, and then we have a continuation. And that's his explanation. So Mackenzie says, Therefore, the two sections, Revelation 20, verse 4, and Revelation 20, verses 11, 15, that's the end of the chapter, are thus describing one throne scene. judgment which happens at the beginning of the millennium not two throne scene judgments one happens at the beginning and one happens at the end so that's how he explains 20. in other words russell spoke of revelation chapter 20 verses 5 through 10 as a parenthesis we have verses 4 to put it in order this way that's how we read we have verse 4 describing the beginning of the judgment we have a parentheses, and we have something happen there all the way between verses 5 and 10. And then at verse 11, we have it pick back up where verse 4 left off. Uh, and he says the sole instance in the whole book uh, uh, is an excursion into a distant future where some things have to be fulfilled. So at this point, McKenzie, regarding his overall position on eschatology, uh, meaning what he believes has been fulfilled and what has not. And this is really, really important, what he says here. So listen, like full preterists, McKenzie says, having studied uh, Stuart Russell, I see 70 AD as the time of the second coming, the resurrection, the beginning of the resurrection, and judgment with the resurrection and judgment having an ongoing fulfillment since that time in the lives of every Christian and every person who comes and dies. And I have always taught that not knowing that Russell and now Mackenzie have, I, I had no idea someone else was saying that. I concur with that. When people say, well, what's happened ever since 70 AD? I say, well, we live our Christian lives. We walk by faith. We die, we're raised, we we are raptured, we have our judgment, we have our resurrection, and that is what has been going on. But what Russell says is that we're in the millennium period while this is going on, from 70 AD to the present, and there's coming a time when all that's going to stop, and he tells us what that additional thing is from the book of Revelation chapter 20, which is what we're studying. That's the only difference between Russellism and full preterist view of the millennium is that he says there's something that's going to come and we're in the millennial reign of the Spirit and God is letting his church continue to go on. I have always taught we are in this uh, reign where Uh, people are living their lives, they go, they die, they're judged, they receive their resurrection, and that's going to continue to go on and on and on and on and on forever. And Russell says, no, we are going to see a fulfillment of an end that's going to come. So, but like partial preterists, this is what McKenzie says, I see certain prophetic events that still await fulfillment, meaning the destruction of Satan at the end of the millennium described in Revelation chapter twenty. Verses 7 through 10, we have an end of Satan. Now, I have always been teaching, in my views, that has occurred. Russell is bringing out, no, we haven't seen that yet. Now, remember, it's not that Satan's operative in Russell's uh, eschatology. He's not in operation. He's bound during the millennium. But he's going to be let loose, and that is going to really be a scene And that is, so it's kind of blending a little bit of the futuristic fears of what's going to happen when that occurs in the minds of people who embrace it. He adds, while my position is much closer to full preterism, I strongly disagree with its premise that all biblical prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70. He then says, our approach is most similar to that of 19th century theologian James Stuart Russell. Like full preterists, Russell saw 70 A.D. as the time of the second coming. Unlike full preterists, Russell saw the second coming as the beginning of the millennium, not its end. So I'm being emphatic to show you the difference between these last two views of the millennium before we enter into 20. And to add another complexity to the whole thing, McKenzie adds, I call this position premillennial preterism, and that's just what he's calling it. Hang on, whatever. But what he means by that is it's premillennial in that it holds that Jesus returned right before pre-the millennium. That's why he calls it premillennial uh preterism. Because it's the Jesus returned right before the millennium. But unlike futuristic premillennialism, however, it does not see the millennium as a literal thousand-year period, which is how the futurist describes something to come in our future, 1,000 years and then all the things that we've been talking about. He continues, says, listen to this. My position is preteristic because it holds that the one and only second coming occurred in 70 AD at the end of the covenantal age. I cannot dispute That fact from Scripture. And when people do, I don't understand how they do it. This is why men like R.C. Sproul didn't dispute it. And Sproul loved uh, Russell's view of of the millennium and the view. And this guy, we recently lost him, but that guy knows his stuff. And he, like with C.S. Lewis, said, We cannot ignore these passages where Jesus said, I'm going to be here. Some of you will see me. You won't get to all of Jerusalem without it. That is why I am so emphatic about he came, he returned, second coming has happened. The stuff that happens after, we have to try to figure out relative to the book of Revelation. But he cites R.C. Sproul, in fact, and it says, In his book, The Last Days According to Jesus, Sproul wrote favorably concerning Russell's position and his attempt to answer the hardest questions related to the New Testament teaching of the second coming happening very soon. So, you know, when you criticize me for being, you know, crazy or out there and making stuff up, I'm really not. This stuff has been talked about by people, but it's just ignored by the masses and the online uh, attackers, because they just don't know what they're doing, but this stuff is there by our thinkers. We can't dismiss that Jesus promised a quick return with a quick second coming. You'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. You will see there's some standing here. So we have to say, how can we justify Jesus' words? And we can be like some who've said he was wrong, and that is the worst thing I think we can possibly say. And we can be like some who say the apostles were wrong, which is the worst thing on earth I think we can say to people who read the Bible. I say Jesus was right. The apostles were right. Everything in that book is right. Uh, let man, every man be a liar and let God be truthful. That is how I want to see it. And if that's the case, let's move forward. By the way, at this point in Douglas McKenzie's writing, he stops and he posts, all the extremely convincing evidence in the New Testament made by Jesus and his apostles about his second coming. And um, uh, something that many of our early church leaders and even present church leaders can't understand. Anyway, looking at Mackenzie's discussion as to why the millennium should be thought of having a formal beginning in 70 AD, I'm going to quote some more things from him. And we can look at Revelation chapter 20 to help you understand. Revelation 20, 1 through 4 is the famous passage of binding Satan and the reign of Jesus and his people. So remember, that's how he summarizes verse 1 through 4 of chapter 20. Well, is that happening? Has there been a reign of Jesus and his people on the earth? On the surface of this passage... It appears relatively simple. On closer inspection, however, it turns out to be one of the most difficult and debated passages in the Bible. One of the first matters to attend to in understanding the millennium is the question of how it fits sequentially in relation to the rest of the book of Revelation. Is the binding of Satan in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, a continuation of events of Revelation 19, and that, that which is the AD 70 fall of Babylon and the second coming, or is there a recapitulation occurring here, going back and restating events that happened earlier? That's the question we have to ask. Some say that there is recapitulation here, that Revelation 20 is going back to the time of Pentecost or AD 30 or the beginning of Jesus' ministry around AD 26. Some say that's what's happening here, and that would be full preterists are suggesting that. Uh, uh, McKenzie says, my position is that Revelation 20 is a continuation of the AD 70 events of Revelation 19, not a recapitulation to the time going back to AD 30 or 26. In considering the sequence of Revelation 19 through 20, it's helpful to broaden our focus, he suggests. Here, in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 20, without the chapter separations, because the chapter separations were added later, he, he goes and he discusses what's happening. So I'm going to read it. It's, it's, a, it's not too long. And I'm going to read what it says in 19 and just show you the flow of how it leads over into 20. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and I think we've talked strongly about who that beast is, with him his false prophet who works signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two, not Satan, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, He laid hold the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the millennium were finished, the way it reads in the Greek. But after these things, he must be released for a while." So there's the continuation of chapter 19 and 20 together without chapter breaks. In verse 20, we'll read, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to uh, to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Notice the sequence in Revelation 19 and 20. The individual beast and the false prophet, the one who made the people bear the mark of the beast, are captured at the second coming in chapter 19 and put in the lake of fire. Satan is then taken and thrown in the abyss as the kingdom is established at the beginning of chapter 20. Those who lost their lives for not taking the mark of the beast, Revelation 19 and 13, are then resurrected in Revelation 20, verse 4, at the beginning of the millennium. So these are resurrected beings who are going to reign with Christ over his kingdom for those thousand years, which beginning in 70 AD are more like 2,000 years going forward. The thousand years, again, representative. God was letting his first century audience, the readers of Revelation, know that the one who was faithful to him to the death would still get to participate in the millennial reign. That's the reason it's said here. Notice the difference to the mark of the beast as a past event. The reference to the mark of the beast as a past event in both 19 and 20. So we have some context here showing us this stuff has happened. Revelation 20 is a continuation of the A.D. 70 narrative of the second coming, not a recapitulation of what happened from A.D. 30, which is how the full preterist eschatology explains it. Then at Revelation 19:20, the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. And then in Revelation 24, we read, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. And we point out that the beheadings, were, they, they have beheadings today. I've actually seen one online. Uh, but those, that was the way many, many thousands and thousands were killed then, who were part of Christ's church, beheaded who had not worshipped the beast, Nero, or his image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads. They hadn't consumed it in their minds or in their hands. And they lived and reigned for Christ for the millennium. Meaning they're still reigning. They are still reigning in Christ's kingdom over this earth and bringing about his uh, will. In Revelation 13, 1-10, the seven churches were warned about the quick coming of an individual beast that would overcome the saints in revelation thirteen eleven through eighteen they were warned about the mark in his head and his hand. These events uh, of the pr- of the tribulation were to happen within a forty two month period as we covered and uh, immediate pre- immediately preceding preceding jesus second coming and We talked about how the secular records showed that that did occur that for those forty two months there was hell reigning upon that early church. And people were losing their heads. They were being put to death. They were going through the tribulation and then the time when Satan was unleashed and really came down upon them. And he, the beast, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 40 and two months. Futurists looking out to the future for this to happen. These guys all saying it occurred upon them then. That's what Revelation is speaking about. It was granted to him, Satan, to make war with the saints and to overcome them, to behead them, put them to death. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And as many as would not worship the image of the beast were to be killed. So in Revelation 19, we're shown the defeat of the beast by the second coming. The defeat of the beast by the second coming. The saints that had been killed for not taking his mark are shown to be those who come to life in chapter 20 and reign during this period of time. They reign, and that was the promise given to them. So again, Revelation 20 is thus a continuation of the AD 70 narrative of chapter 19 and not a recapitulation of going back to A.D. 30, which is what we're going to talk about is the full preterist uh, eschatology of the millennium, and we're not going to get to that till next week. Remember, one of the groups that come alive at the beginning of the millennium consists of those who were killed for not taking the mark of the beast. They had gone through the Great Tribulation described in Revelation 7, They're being resurrected 70 A.D. to participate in the millennium. The sequence I just proposed is shown in Daniel as well. In Daniel chapter 7, first the Antichrist, the little 11th horn that Daniel 7 talks about, overcomes the saints. Then, two, he is defeated by the coming of God. And then, three, the court is seated with thrones to put in the kingdom when this reign begins as the saints possess the kingdom. So uh, Daniel 7:21 through 22, I was watching and one, the same horn was wa- making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And three, the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Who were the saints? Those who were beheaded for their witness and who had not received the mark. They're reigning in this uh, Russellinium. So, two, the same sequ- sequence is shown uh, in Daniel, is also shown in Revelation. Uh, The Antichrist, the individual beast, overcomes the saints. We read about that in Revelation 13. We read about it, okay? Number two, he's defeated at the coming of God. That's Revelation 19. And the saints then possess the kingdom as the millennium begins. That's Revelation chapter 20, and this is the Russell's view, which is why it makes so much sense. And this is a premillennial sequence the second coming happens right before god's people possess the kingdom of god so that's how it's premillennial it's not futuristic premillennial it's not dispensational premillennial it's premillennial in that it all happened before the destruction at 70 AD when the when the millennium came according to James Stuart Russell so that was his position and listen he considers any attempts to fit the millennium in before 70 A.D., which would, ding, 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 be this. Russell said, any attempts for that are violent and unnatural. That's how he described the full preterist eschatology. They're violent and unnatural. We'll see if they are. It is at the 70 A.D. coming of God that the saints inherit the kingdom This explains why one of the groups that come alive at the beginning of the millennium uh, consists of those people who had lost their lives. Um, Again, listen, it was at the coming of God, what the New Testament has shown as the second coming of Christ, that the people began to possess the kingdom of God and participate in it. That's in Daniel 7. That's in Revelation 19. And that's why Russell's view makes so much sense Relative to all of this. Now, you know as well as I do that you cannot be a full preterist if you believe there's any future Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If there is a Bible prophecy left to be fulfilled, you are not a full preterist. So we are going to see as we get into the full preterist view does it hold water? because this is when it really is going to make some sense. Up to this point, everything else seems to have made sense. But chapter 20 makes us say, can these things reasonably, naturally, spiritually, authentically be fit in from a period of 30 AD to 70 AD? If they can't, we have to either go back to orthodoxy and say, I'm premillennialist, I'm postmillennialist, I'm amillennialist, Or you can go with an unorthodox view that was created in the 1800s by a guy named Russell and how I have just described his view of the millennium. To this point, if I find out that full preterism eschatology doesn't work, I will certainly become a uh, Russellist because it makes the most sense relative to everything we have discovered. So we'll see where we are. So... A full preterist, can't, uh, you can't have a Calvinist who's a four-point Calvinist. It's impossible. You can't have a three or two or one. Anyone who says that, they do not understand what Calvinism supplied the world through his mind. So, just remember that. Use this to really test the things we're going to study now as we're going to start to get into chapter 20 and examine it from the full preterist view. Does that really seem reasonable? Is it, is it a normal understanding of Scripture? Because here is where the criticism falls on full preterism, that you have to jump through so many hoops to make it fit, especially this thousand-year period, and the binding of Satan and the loosing of Satan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everything else so far with Nero and all that being cast in, that, that, that has made great sense. And so I'm just reiterating to you again, think. Don't trust me. Do your homework. Let the Spirit move you. Stay with us, and then go and test things yourself. Because resting upon this is such heavy implications for the type of Christianity we live today. All right. Uh, So in other words, both of... Well, I won't say that. Long story short... Full Preterists have to reject a 70 A.D. beginning of the millennium, as Russell submits. In other words, if the millennium did begin at 70 A.D. and Satan has not yet been loosed, it means there is still a prophecy to be fulfilled. Satan will be loosed from the abyss at the end of the millennium, as we're going to read Revelation Chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, saying, It says he will be loosed. In the face of this, full preterists are left with a choice of either accepting what Russell and McKenzie and others say about AD 70 beginning. This is why this view is considered a preterist view. But it can't be considered a full preterist view because this one implies all have been fulfilled where Russell says... There is something that is left. So just understand, it's considered a preterist view, but it doesn't fit in with full preterism. So we'll address this as we uh, see how full preterists explain things. Most full preterists will attempt to differentiate the beginning of the millennium from the saints possessing the kingdom in 70 AD. Is that possible? We'll see. Okay, so... uh, Here's the order, and let me just rehearse it to you. Jesus introduced a 40-year millennium at his death and resurrection. This is the the full preterist view. At his death and resurrection, he introduced a uh, 40-year millennium. And that Satan was bound at that time, allowing the apostles to get the good news going. If Satan was loosed, he would have stopped their every move. But it was introduced at that time, this time of peace for them, 40 years to get it going. Then Satan was loosed in 67 AD for the 42 months, reaping carnage and havoc through the beast and the Antichrist for 42 months. And then Jesus returned with his reward and judgment introducing not only uh, the resurrection for everybody from that point forward to life and to damnation, but he also established the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem at that point. Perhaps I'm wrong, but at this point, this is how the full preterists maintain their views. So now I just gave you the, the rough shell of that view before we read 20 and examine it verse by verse. We have to be fair. If the amillennialist view and if Russellism and even some postmillennials can take the word millennium and make it mean something other than a thousand years, because they do, and remember most Lutherans and Catholics and many others are amillennialists, Jason Wallace is amillennialist, they take the thousand year literalness and they say, no, it's not that, it doesn't mean that. If they have the right to do it, and they have the right to do it, then we can't say it's not fair for the full preterist to shrink it to 40 years. That's, we can't do that because they've changed it, and they've changed it, and some of them have changed it. The only ones who haven't changed thousand exactly uh, 3,600 and however many days it is are the premillennials who take everything literally. They're the only ones who haven't changed it. So if it's going to be changed, these guys are all guilty. We have to allow them to be guilty of changing it, too. Amen. Okay. Got an amen from Patrick there. So give give yourself some leeway on the meaning of millennium here as we talk. Now, Douglas McKenzie, he's a Russellian, essentially. He says, despite my disagreements with full preterism, I do agree with many of its conclusions. And let me list some. So, I agree that the second advent, the second coming of Christ happened at 70 AD, and that this was when the resurrection and judgment of mankind began and is ongoing since that time. That's that's a view I have taught and I believe. According to the book of Daniel, this is number two, the resurrection was the beginning, was to begin, the resurrection was to begin at the end of the great tribulation, These events were to happen at the 70 A.D. shattering of the Jewish nation. I believe that too. At that time, at the time of the king of the Norse attack on Jerusalem, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame, and everlasting contempt." Then I saw the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. That's 42 months we've talked about. And when the power of his holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. That's reciting Daniel chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 7, I think. Uh, Mackenzie says this, The partial preterist attempt to separate the time of the great tribulation, which they say happened in 70 AD, from the time of the resurrection, which they say will happen in the future, does not hold up to scrutiny. So I throw out, because that's true, my partial preterist stance. I either am going to be a Russellite in terms of my eschatology, or I am going to go the full preterist view on it. It's going to be one or the other. Because the partial preterist view cannot be sustained when they say, I'm partial preterist, and they divide the great tribulation from the time of the resurrection, which can't be done. And that's why Russellism says there is the great tribulation, 67 to 70, and the resurrection began, and of the people, and the kingdom's going, but we're waiting for that end, which refutes full preterism. Consistent with uh, Daniel 12, which I just read, Revelation 11, 5-18 through shows the resurrection began at the destruction of those who were destroying the land of Israel. This happened at the 70 AD full establishment of the kingdom of God. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We studied that when we studied Revelation chapter 11. And the four and twenty elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged. These passages are showing that the partial preterist view of separating tribulation From the resurrection, as they do to explain their eschatology, does not hold water. It can't. Partial preterists acknowledge that Revelation 11, 15 through 18 is referring to the AD destruction of Jerusalem. Because the creeds do not teach an AD resurrection of partial preterism, they maintain that the judgment of the dead in Revelation 11, 18 is not really the judgment of the dead. That that is just nonsensical. So, before you heard me say, up at this point, I'm a partial preterist because it's proven, I tossed that away. I can't have it because it's not consistent with all forms of scripture. We are left with a couple choices here. Amillennialism could, could dabble a little bit in there, but I don't think so. We're left with these two non-orthodox views, either Russell or full, full preterists. Um, And then it's at this point that McKinsey makes some great sense. He says, this is a tragic error in logic. However, just because a given position is wrong on a number of issues does not mean the alternative position is necessarily right on all points. What he's saying is just because we've proven partial preterism uh, wrong on some position doesn't mean that full preterism is the solution. And that's why he says, I think Russell's view is better than both of those, which is why it's quite impressive to me at this point as well. He says, Daniel 7 cuts both ways. Not only does it show the resurrection and judgment beginning at 70 AD, it also shows the millennium beginning at that time. I still think that can be debated, but we'll see. That the resurrection and the millennium began at 70 AD explains why it is... That the martyrs of the beast are shown as being resurrected during the millennium. And then, citing Revelation 20, verse 4, he writes, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Now, this is talking about the millennium for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So they tie that resurrection of those who had been beheaded during the tribulation to the resurrection to the beginning of the millennium, and that's what Russell has uh, constructed and this McKinsey has agreed with. So, that is the position that stands outside of uh, the three main positions of the millennium, premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism, uh, Russellianism, and, and then the full preterist view, which we are going to get to next week. I want to finish by reading the book of Revelation, 15 verses, chapter 20, to preface us again as to what it says. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. When did this happen? Ask yourself. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and cast him a thousand years, a millennium, When did it happen? Did it happen 70 AD? Are we waiting for it to happen? Premillennialism. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till after a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after this, he must be loosed a little season. Does that speak to your heart of what happened to the nation of Israel between the time that Jesus resurrected? And before the destruction of Jerusalem, does it speak to your mind as something that happened at 70 AD and has continued on out that Satan is no longer uh, uh, tricking the nations? Does it speak to your mind as a future uh, event that you can't conceive of it having happened yet? And, And so let these things speak to you. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set upon a seal upon him. He, she deceived the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Are we waiting for that? Has it happened? And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a millennium. Has that happened? Are we in the middle of it? Are we waiting for it to happen? Remembering that we did pretty much support this mark of the beast and the, the identity of the beast in our earlier studies of Revelation. Ask yourself the question still at verse 5. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. The only ones who were raised were those who were beheaded, martyred, who had not received the mark of the beast. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that in part has the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Literal or endless, you decide. Or 40 years, you decide. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sands of the sea, obviously hyperbole. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. What's the beloved city, guys? And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be, are, remember that R means at that time. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I I correct that last thing I said. That's not correct. Verse 11. And now we come to another segment of chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Did it happen? When did it happen? 70 AD. Are we waiting for it to happen? and whosoever was not found and written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is that continually happening? Is it over? Are we hoping for it to occur, like the, the premillennialist dispensationalists suggest, that this is all applicable to us? We will find that out as we get into the verse-by-verse verse now relative to the full preterist position next week. Okay, I think we did our homework for... Millennialism. Questions, comments. Don't be shy. Hi Sean. Hi, Patrick. Is this on? Is this thing on? It is. Okay.
1: Um I'm a full supporter of your ministry. You are awesome. And thank you for all the teaching. I've learned some new things today. Praise God. Wow, yeah. Um, my question is, I don't know if you've talked about him. Maybe you have. Um, how does Michael, the Archangel, play a role in the age today? Or does he?
0: Well, it depends on what eschatology you're embracing. Oh, I see. So I can't answer that myself yet, because I don't know. Oh, okay. But I think by the time we're done with at least 20, will have an answer from me and maybe you'll have some idea of what you think.
1: Awesome, and then um, another question really quick. In James chapter one, verse five, it's the Mormons use? I was reading that earlier, thought I would ask you, what do you think that means? If any of you lack wisdom in context, can you explain that?
0: I think that the way they use it to justify the first vision and Joseph Smith going to the trees and, and to ask God for wisdom, mm-hmm that that was not wisdom he was seeking. Mm. He wasn't seeking how to operate in his life. (coughs) He was seeking as to which church was true. That doesn't say if any of you lack knowledge, let him ask of God. Uh It says wisdom. And the wisdom is knowledge applied. Lord, I know this. How do I apply it? Mm -hmm. So I see it as a nuanced difference between how they use that passage to support uh, Smith and what it really meant at that time in Scripture.
1: Awesome, thank you, Sean. Praise God, brother. Praise God.
0: Oh, our sister from another mister.
1: Hi, Sean. I'm Carla. And I'm not from another mister.
0: You are. We don't share the same father.
1: Oh, I guess you're right. Um, At least the, I hope not. <laughs> those passages that you just read, I cannot even imagine. I mean, they're so horrific and so horrible, and I don't think there's any way they could have happened yet. Okay. How would you explain that?
0: Well, we've been spending the past two years going through explaining how they had actual secular application through the hands of Nero. And that's why I see them as actually happening. Combine that, Carla, with Jesus describing it in Matthew 24 as happening soon and then describing the horror of them, I'm able to believe that upon those citizens, upon those saints, the things that I just read had occurred. But I understand why we have different views. I I do. I understand why people can't imagine and think this is all coming upon us still. So I don't uh, deny your, your right and reason to understand it as a future thing. But with taking everything else we've studied, I just don't see it that way.
1: Thank you. I like your hair. Thank you very
0: much. You're welcome. I like your hair and I like your hair. Always punny, aren't we? Is that it? And we're so glad Myrna's back. Hallelujah! You add some class to your... Couple. All right, let's pray. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to know. Seek you in spirit and truth. These these matters of end times do matter, in terms of how we read and understand Scripture, which do affect us. But not mountains, because there's so much difference in the body over our views. So we pray that no matter what we personally decide or believe or teach or espouse that we do err always on the side of love, dying to ourselves and our views and our wisdom and our knowledge, and we uh, learn to love and receive a people as you would love and receive them. We pray for those who are on this list, our little friend Gracie, and we pray that she'll recover from her cancer. We pray for Lisa and Paris. Lisa's had a grand turnaround and had a a, a magnificent healing in her life. And we thank you, God, for that and continue to pray for her and pray that those uh, shrinking tumors will uh, disappear. Uh, We pray for Liz and uh, her uh, mourning over her mom's passing, Joan healing from the car wreck, Diana, of course, and, of course, Carla and continued healing for the sisters. And um, we pray for Deb's granddaughter, spent uh, three weeks in the hospital, her ammonia levels, Uh, have taken her out and she's having to relearn how to even talk and we just pray you'll bless deb and and her entire family as they uh, try to help this little uh, friend of ours recuperate lord this world full of of sorrows full of loneliness full of tragedy and and in it we seek to see the light in your wisdom and ways to help us grow in faith and in love and appreciation for others around us so help us to deal uh, in faith and in love with these situations and those who are exposed to them. We pray for all of this now. The people who have helped us and the people who are watching, we pray for the paraministries out there that are seeking to reach people and reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. For my yoke is easy and my